Live from the Mecca Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we're learning together how to live as Christians in the age of fulfillment. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for life. We're grateful for the opportunity to still be able to broadcast. We pray for your uh, blessings upon Seth and Wendy and Mary and Mags as they keep the show going and uh, be with those viewers now or in the archives that uh, you're moving them by your spirit towards truth. We want to be better Christians. We want better sons and daughters. And so we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. My face is red because I was helping my son-in-law with some concrete work over the past couple days. And so I got fried and that's just what it looks like. Um, So much to talk about. So let's get right to it tonight. Good stuff. Interesting, I think. I received a communication taken from a local church here, which I won't name, South Mountain. And it's the form that the South Mountain Church in Draper uses on people to gain access to financial support in this time of need. Now, I'm going to use them as an example of what's probably going on all over the world with well-established, well-heeled, million-dollar religious empires like South Mountain uh, Community Church in uh, Draper and another another of other campuses here in Utah. Um, If you want to hear church playing at its best, listen to the following explanations from the South Mountain Community Church here in Salt Lake on how to be qualified for receiving financial help from the church. Number one, this is a quote, financial support is given first to those that are members of the church. Now, this is interesting because South Mountain claims over and over again on their website and other places and and literature that they don't have members or membership. But this is the first qualification they give for getting support. The The applicant must be a member of South Mountain. So translated, what they're really saying here is they want people uh, who are looking to get financial support and love from their church to show actions worthy of being deemed a member of that church, like attending meetings and volunteering and paying tithes and all the rest. For this reason, and later on on this form, the person filling it out is required to disclose a number of things relative to being a member, like how often they attend church and the rest. So that's the first thing. The qualifications have just begun. The second thing they say is, listen to this. After family and government aid, the small group that a person attends is the next source for help. If those, if all those sources of financial aid prove to be wanting then the benevolence fund may be considered. That sentence is so pregnant and loaded with language. We're going to break it down for you right now if you didn't catch it. Classic manipulation. In fact, it's so manipulative. I'm going to the board to describe what they are actually doing to you. And we've pre-drawn here. Where are we looking? This says here, the South Mountain Funnel of Rejection. That's what I'm calling this. It's so manipulative. So what we have up here, do I need to be on this side, Seth? Do you, should I be over here? Okay. So this is a, a little family, and it says, we need help! Exclamation point. Okay? You got that? So I just want to go, so they've already said, you have to be a member which they say in their literature, we don't have. We don't have members, okay? But that's what they say. Now they say, after family, government, and small groups have been exhausted. Have been exhausted. Um... So it says, after family and government aid, the small group that a person attends is the next source for help. If all those sources of financial aid prove to be wanting, then the benevolence fund may be considered. Okay? That is something else. So after family aid, so 
you need money, you go to mom and dad, cousins, brothers, and they can probably, how far do you stretch out family? And they say, you go to family, and then you go to the government. So after the government has been exhausted, you've gone to uh, uh, SBA loans, you've gone to welfare, you've done everything else. Then they say, go to your small group that a person attends for the next source of help. So think about this. It's unbelievable. It is a South Mountain funnel of rejection that they're setting up. You got to be a member of their church. You've got to go to your family if you're in help. They've turned you down or they've helped you as much as they can. You go to the government. They've turned you down, helped you as much as you can. And then they say you go to the small group that you're a part of. Now, South Mountain and other churches, they love doing this. We're going to oversee and lord over these small groups that you're a part of. That means you get with three or five other families or people in your group and you meet once a week or once a month or whatever it is and you do Bible studies and stuff. So what they've done is they said, you've got to be part of a small group. And they say, you've got to go to the small group that you're in. You got a bunch of regular people gathered together and you go to them, I need help. So only after you've exhausted these things, they add this, they say, um... The then benevolent, the benevolence fund may be considered. Then the benevolence fund may be considered. Did you catch it? They have taken a percentage of their donations and they have placed it in what they call their benevolence fund. And what they say is that's how much money we give to people what we have in our benevolence fund. So they could be bringing in $10 million a month in donations and giving one half of 1% to the benevolence fund. And then when people come to them and say, we need help, they say, our benevolence fund is out. We just can't do it. That's how they do it. It's, it's, it's a church plane all around. And, and so we don't know how much they are giving to the benevolence fund, but add salt to the wound. They say, after you've exhausted these things, then the benevolence fund might be available to you. Might be. Okay, but we're not done. Then they flat out explain what will cause some people not to receive aid. Now, look, at this is a church that has called on people to tithe. I've talked to them straight up face to face about their tithes. You pay tithes. So they've been collecting from their members, right? They said, if you can work, then you will probably not get aid from the church. Got to show that graphic. It's an important one. If you can work, then you will probably not get aid from the church. If we can find work for you at the church, we will gladly pay you for that work. If not, we will partner with you in locating a job. So who decides I want to know if someone can work? Do they look at someone who's a, is a, a quadriplegic and say, you can work. You can screw uh, caps on a toothpaste uh, container. <laughs> you can work. Get out there and get a job because we're not going to help you. I mean, that line is so open. If you can work, then you're not going to get aid from us. But they don't stop there. Another caveat they add in writing. If you have relatives that can help, then you probably will not get aid from the church. If you have relatives that can help, not if you have relatives who will help. So let's say that I was broke and, and I went to them and I was a member and I, all these other things. And I said, I need help. And they say, your uh, parents have some money. We're not helping you. You see how that works? So it's every reason on under the sun. So if you can work, And then if you have family who can help you, we're not going to help you. And then they add this one. These guys are so unreal. If you are in a bad situation because of self-inflicted poverty. (laughs) And then they put in parentheses, drug abuse, gambling, or other misconduct. other misconduct, then you will most likely not receive aid from the church. So we got to add another one to it. Let's add misconduct. 
which leads to uh, what they call self-inflicted poverty. So forget about people who, you know, they need it. They've messed up. Forget about all the Christian stuff. This is what South Mountain Community Church does with people who come to them and say they need help. They put them through this funnel of rejection. All right. And then they add, uh, pretty much this closes the door on ever getting money. Financial assistance from the church is not guaranteed as from time to time the fund gets depleted. So then they say, listen, there's even if you meet all of these checklist off, 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 bottom line, probably not. That means probably not there <laughs> because our fund gets depleted. Right. They are bringing in uh, month after month, year after year, decade after decade of money from everybody who's contributing. And when it comes down to people needing help, they wind up at the end saying, probably aren't going to be able to help you because the fund gets depleted. Why does the fund get depleted? Because you're only putting 1% in to help people instead of 90% and using 10% to do your church. So um, it's pretty much an SBA loan. It's pretty much you're going to qualify or you're not. It has nothing to do with part of the church. I'm going to sit back down. I want to know why what Jesus says doesn't play in here. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5:42? Give to him that asks you, and from him that would borrow of you, turn not thou away. That's Jesus' words. That's what he said. South Mountain and churches like them are supposed to represent Jesus. He says, give to them that, uh, that would borrow from you or ask of you. Give it to them. Uh, Matthew, he says in Matthew, if someone asks for your coat, give them your cloak too. This is Jesus, South Mountain. Um, remember what Jesus said to the rich man. And I'm saying this relative to rich churches. He said to the rich man, if you will be complete, go and sell what you have and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. You might say, oh, you're being radical. No, I'm being Christian. That you go, if you have a lot of riches, then you sell those riches off and you give to those in need and you follow Christ. That's what Jesus said. I'm not making it up. Jesus said it, Paul Roby. He said it. And then what about James 2.16 for those he said, James writes to those who say to the poor, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What does it profit? If you just say to people who are in need, go on and be filled. We do this, we do that. But you don't, you don't provide for them the things of the body, James says. What does, what does it profit? If such be uh, benevolence prescribed by Jesus doesn't begin at the church level, at least from the heart, if the church is poor as church mouse, no, mice, no pun intended, and you don't have a lot to give, at least you have the attitude of, I'll share my sandwich with you. Not some funnel of rejection that you put people through and you vet them down to the point where you're going to exclude them from helping them at all. And that's what these rich churches do. And they're, pathetic. they're a mar on the body of Christ. These times are the exact times the churches that have collected tithes from their members should be uh, doing all they can to support those people who have paid into the coffers uh, because they've been taught that they should. All I have read are six or seven or eight selfish, manipulative reasons why places like South Mountain Church refuse to do this. Boycott the brick and mortars. When this quarantine lifts, don't go back. Keep your money. Give it to your neighbor who needs it. Help the poor person around the corner. Don't give it to the church to build their brick and mortars. Read your Bible. Pray to God. Be a loving Christian and go on with your life. Put these guys out of business because they show what they're all about. And listen, there's a great article on COVID-19 and, and how the churches are proving to be fails as a result of it on checkmychurch.org. They just posted it. Check it out. I think it's worth it. So as you are all well aware in the human experience, there are a lot of people 
who love to challenge other people to debate. It's like I swam through high school and college, and when you go to a backyard pool party and you're in with a bunch of guys, the first thing the swimmer does is say, want to race? <laughs> well, debaters love to debate. And so they're always challenging each other to a debate. They send emails, I'll debate you on this, you know. Think about that for a minute. I mean, you don't see musicians calling each other and saying, let's debate. And you don't see artists doing it. You don't see painters. You don't see construction workers. Come on, I'll debate you. The best way to dra- uh, drive a nail into a board. But we see it in politics and we see it in religion. These debaters. If you really think about it, the idea of debating, uh, especially in religious things, is pretty damn egotistical. That on the participants part, they, for the most part, think that they, they want to debate another person because they can beat them in the race. They think they can. They think, I can embarrass this person and make myself look good in what I'm about to do. Either that or they're so zealous they are willing to just step out and do anything to just try to preach the zeal, that the, the truth of the zeal they think they have. So, but in the end, you know, I've always maintained debates do very little to change the minds of people. And uh, it serves, but, you know, it could serve as like a, a, a release valve for societal pressure that's building up, building up, building up. So you have societal pressure building up and then you get two people to debate and it might serve as a release valve to let off steam that that these people become the mouthpieces for the respective things that are being debated. And and then audiences can vicariously live through what's being said and just and and cheer everything that their representative says and then and then boo everything that the person debating says. Maybe there's some value in debate for that. But I think in the age of fulfillment relative to God and Christ and, and, and that the kingdom is about spirit and love for those who are his, I think we need to start rethinking debate and its purpose. And recently I received a copy of this debate from Wendy who said that people were trying to post it on some of our social media outlets. And in between, it's between two Utah locals, uh, one LDS and the other, a strident Calvinist who uh, frequents downtown Salt Lake City LDS events and, and, and proselytizes and preaches and, and everything else. He, he, he debates, really. So introducing in the left corner, Kwaku L, Latter-day Saint millennial debater. And in the right corner, Aaron Shafafalov, representing John Calvin and his interpretation of the Bible. Understand that clearly, Aaron does not represent the biblical Christianity I understand. Not both in his presentation or in the words that he uses or the tenor of his words or the doctrine that he uses. But I love Aaron and I receive him as a brother in Christ and I think he means well. Kwaku L, a Mormon, active Mormon, uh, we've had him on the show. I don't agree with uh, Kwaku at all on his theological stances, but I love Kwaku. And I, and I think he's a great guy. And, I, and, and, and so they are going to uh, uh, step into the arena and they're going to challenge each other. Aaron is well-meaning, it seems. He has a zeal for God, but unfortunately goes about trying to correct everybody. Aaron corrects everybody. And uh, he doesn't let love's, God's love and the finished work of Christ really take hold of the heart. He's a strident Calvinist and that changes how people are. And you'll see that in the intensity of Aaron's eyes as he speaks, something I feel sorry for about him. And I hope that will include. Now, this video, as you watch, it's hilarious. Um, And in part, you know, personally, I laughed my head off when I watched it. But representing the faith on the show, uh, it's not funny to me, simply because when you can get a laugh out of people at the expense of somebody else, it doesn't matter who's making good points or not. So in some ways, this is a smear tactic that is used by Kwaku, who I later found out is the one who produced this video. So it's not really fair to Aaron and what you're going to see, but uh, we'll see what happens. So we're going to work through this edited piece to get a taste of what is being said between the two parties. And I think the piece, um, it's going to speak for itself in a lot of ways, but I'm going to add some commentary and we're just going to watch the first 11 seconds right now.
Aaron, did God predestine every baby who was aborted to be aborted? Every single thing, according to Ephesians 1.11, has been predestined. I'll quote it for you. Did God predestine 9.11? He predestined everything. So any question you ask me. Uh, I guess Kwaku asks Aaron, hey, does God predestine all the abortions? And, and Aaron's response was, God predestined everything according to Ephesians uh, 1.11. Now, I just want to tell you right now, right off the bat, that is not what Ephesians 1.11 says. Ephesians 1.11 is talking about the predestination of the nation of Israel to bring about the, the fulfillment and the good news and, and, the, and the reconciliation of the world. It's talking about Jews there. Aaron is taking that and using it as this blanket predestinational uh, presupposition that God has predestined every evil thing like this, this pin being stabbed in my leg right now. He predestined that. Uh, he must not have because it didn't stab me in the leg. But in any case, right off the bat, right off the bat, we have some insanity. So let's watch from here on out and we'll stop it at 116. It's going to be a yes about predestined. Okay, I've got a lot, so hold on. If a man burns down a synagogue, sells children into trafficking, funds ISIS, but accepts the evangelical Jesus on his deathbed, is he an heir of heaven? Absolutely. Amen. Yes. Is Paid Muslim, by the blood of Jesus, is, is Muslim, freely forgiven, graciously loved, and justified. Is Mother Teresa, who died a Catholic, an heir of heaven? Probably not. Did God predestine the LDS temple to exist? Absolutely. Every sin, every horrible sin of the Latter-day Saint religion, just like the Assyrians' uh, conquest of the Northern Kingdom and the Babylonians' conquest of the Southern Kingdom, the language of scripture is that God ultimately did that. He, 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 he uh, governed it. He orchestrated it. And according to Acts 4, verses 27 and 28, the most dramatic sin in all of human history was literally predestined by God, and all of the related parties were predestined to do their role in it. Thank you. Um, did God predestine the Book of Mormon? Yes. Did he God did. predestine every word written on the pages of the Book of Mormon? Yes, not everything that God... Okay, so, you know, you notice that Kwaku, he's sitting there, and he's laughing. And, and, and Aaron... Has, is bitten into the zealous rhetoric of literal biblical application to this very day of every word to himself. And he uses it as this proof text. And softball after softball, Quaku's just throwing these things up and letting Aaron more and more embarrass himself, show the the zeal coming out through his eyes and language. And it isn't based in a contextual understanding of scripture. It's based on someone saying, I'm going to take this book. I'm going to make it say everything I want it to say. And I'm going to beat everybody up with it. Let's uh, keep going and show it to 305, Seth. Predestines is something that he is pleased with. God has a way of ordaining things that he hates. Um, did God predestine who is saved before they were alive? It's literally what the text says in Romans 9. Did God predestine all of the evangelicals in this room to be evangelical? Uh, ultimately, yeah. Did God predestine all the Latter-day Saints in this room to be Latter-day Saints? Oh, I don't know about that. I think there's a lot of you people who are going to crash and burn in Mormonism, and you're not going to be Mormonism in 10 years, and people like me are going to be trying to share the gospel with you because Mormonism burned you over. Amen. Hey, let's, uh, let's, let, let's keep it, let's keep it uh, sweet. We love burning. Um... <laughs> Did God predestine my ancestors who were taken from Ghana and thrown in boats and shipped over and had their families separated and some were hung, some were chopped into pieces, some were lit on fire. Did he predestine the slavery and torture of the people in my family about 250 years ago? My God is so big that he has governed and orchestrated history that literally every single act of evil is not outside of his control. All of evil and all of Satan is on a leash. And Jesus Christ has orchestrated things such that he gets maximal glory and he has decided that sin should be a part of history did Anne frank who died of typhoid fever as we know and she died a practicing jewish girl a beautiful intelligent jewish girl that was her religion did god predestine her to be jewish sure did god predestine her to be sent to the camps yes did god predestine her to burn in hell afterward uh, it seems so, yes. 
Quaku uh, again, he's setting Aaron up left and right, and he takes Anne Frank, and he describes her as this beautiful, wonderful girl. And he, he, God puppets uh, Anne Frank all through her life, through war and horrible things. And then after he's done using her for that, Aaron agrees that he doesn't, it seems that God has thrown her into an eternal fire, burning fire in hell. And uh, the trouble here, folks, is our brother and our friend Aaron is taking it upon himself to assign passages that have no application to him or to this day and age. They have application to that, those people then and what God was doing to set it up. And so he is embarrassing the faith by, by believing that and saying, frankly, that it seems so that Anne Frank is burning in an eternal punishment of hell. And Kwaku knows what he's doing. He's feeding upon the zeal of, of a religious fanatic who has been influenced by Calvinism and reads God in a certain way as this despotic puppeteer where there is no such thing as free will. That's what Aaron rep represents. If you have a God who's in control of every single thing, evil and good, there's no free will in Aaron's mind. And so we're all doing these things. And that's totally antithetical to a, what a large percentage of what Christianity thinks. Um, he doesn't just see uh, Jesus as having the victory. And that's part of the problem with that, what we have today is that we aren't seeing him as having the victory and having reconciled the world to God. He sees Satan and hell as still reigning, as God being this, uh, this guy who, or God who is so big and so powerful that he predestined everybody's every action and we're going to stick to it. Hence the urgency and fervor in his eyes. I've known Aaron for a long, long time. And what you see on his face is the fruit of years of biblical literalism and of interpreting the Bible out of context. And I feel badly for him. And uh, frankly, what Kwaku is able to do to him right here. So let's go from 305 to 341. Uh, I don't believe she's innocent of sin. I think she was worthy of condemnation. According to Romans 1 and 2, she's got the law of God written on her heart, and she by nature is carnal. And she does not love God. She does not have a disposition toward worshiping God. And she needs to be born again. There's no free passes around this. You have to be born again because you're corrupt, including you, Kwaku. Yes, the corrupt Anne Frank. Um, Absolutely. Everyone, well, how about this? Uh, last year, a high school girl in the American Fork area was taken by a terrible, terrible man, beaten, tortured. Um, she was assaulted and raped repeatedly. They found her body in the woods. That God has a meaning in every act of suffering. That this girl can be told by a Christian, if you believe in the Lord. So, um, I have to side with Aaron here. And because Aaron is preaching biblical tenets about... Um, rebirth and regeneration, which you can't get around. He's absolutely right. And, and the use of the Third Reich clips that are going to be inserted here more and more by Kwaku after the debate is unfair who, if he put them together. Aaron is representing uh, the gospel message, and, and, and Kwaku's being disrespectful to it, which is the gospel message is that we are depraved human beings. And even Anne Frank and even Mother Teresa and, and even Russell Nelson and Kwaku and myself and Aaron, we don't have the holiness of God in us. Therefore, we are lesser than him and we are fallen and we need to be born again. That is clearly a biblical message. God through Christ has reconciled the world to himself, but that doesn't mean that everybody else has been reconciled to him. He's, he's okay with the world, but the world isn't okay with him. And so there's no way uh, to the Father but by Christ. And I applaud Aaron for standing on that biblical fact. It is, it is absolutely. And it's, I, I feel it's unfortunate that Kwaku is, is mocking that biblical tenet. I, I think it's beneath him. Um, 
we see the failure of these two men standing up before an audience to represent truth. That's not what they're doing. The video unfairly repeats the Anne Frank montage you're going to see in a second and the use of the Third Reich. And it's pure propaganda. I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm bummed it at, uh, at Quaku resorting to that. Secondly, it seems to me like Aaron here, he's trying to represent his truth. Whether you agree with it, I don't agree with it or not. He is at least trying to share. And Kwaku, I'm not picking on him, but he is being a little bit of a, of a, a punk. And he's just throwing at him these untenable situations. And Aaron in his zeal is responding to them with, with uh, biblical literalism, borrowing from the Bible without having the authority to do it and assigning it to our day and age. And uh, it's, it's kind of sad. I reject predestination on the grounds for which Aaron foolishly uses it, but he's not alone in this. And the fact that Kwaku is trying to make him look foolish does nothing to make Mormonism right. Because Kwaku's adept at making a, a, a zealous guy for Calvinism look dumb, it doesn't make Mormonism any better, you know? And, and, and this is the unfortunate thing about debates. In doing them, Aaron has helped to retrench LDS people into their faith and Kwaku has been free to make all the evangelicalism look unconscionable. It's so sad. So it's at this point in the video at 5.11 through 7.15 that Kwaku's manipulation of the content becomes really unfair. And just watch what happens here. I really don't want to show it, but there is a point that is made here which needs to be addressed, which we'll do in a minute. Sure. Did God predestine her to be sent to the camps? Yes. Did God predestine her to burn in hell afterward? Uh, it seems so, yes. Uh, I don't believe she's innocent of sin. I think she was worthy of condemnation. If God ordained things that are bad, is God then the father of sin? Uh, he's not the father of the sin of sinning. He's the morally culpable origin. God has a way of being... God is the origin of sin. He can be the primary cause of all things without being morally culpable from, for secondary causes. I'd be glad to, but... Um, so I'm happy to quote Calvin where he's great, but where he's not great, like when Martin Luther's not great at the end of his life, the way he treat, treats Jews. I am so happy to treat Martin Luther like you treat Bruce McCockey. I mean, I like Bruce McConkey. I don't like Martin Luther. I don't. Okay. I don't believe you should try to kill Jews. Is what I'm saying. I'm, I'm it's happy. really bad to kill Jews. You shouldn't do it. I'm bad happy news. to treat. I'm happy to treat John Calvin and Martin Luther if necessary, like you treat Brigham Young. I like him. He was a prophet. He taught a lot of things you're embarrassed of. You know, he didn't teach to kill Jews. He didn't teach that. He taught something worse. Brigham Young taught something worse than, than killing, killing Jews. Jews? Ah, you yes. lost me there, pal. Yes, Sorry, I, got you. I don't. Brigham Young taught something worse than, than killing Jews. Than killing Jews? Ah, you yes. lost me there, pal. Yes. Sorry, I, got you. I don't think. I got you right here. Brigham Young taught that Adam was God. That's even worse That's than killing Jews. That's not worse than killing Jews. Idolatry is worse than murder. Hey guys, sorry, had to interrupt the video. Kwaku here. So to say idolatry is worse than murder is kind of interesting. So this is what would be considered idolatry in evangelical Christianity. This is a Hindu temple. Inside they're worshiping Krishna and they have statues of Krishna. It is considered idolatry. And this is Ted Bundy. He murdered a bunch of women and like chopped them up and assaulted them really bad. By Aaron's logic, these Hindus worshiping are worse than Ted Bundy! Ted Free! So the comparison to Hindus worshiping idols and Bundy is a really bad on a number of reasons. And we're talking about ideology versus actions. And Kwaku hooks Aaron into something that Aaron has a zeal as a zeal-driven biblicist would chomp down on hook, line, and sinker. The problem is both issues have been paid for by Christ, so there's no worse thing. They're talking, they've gotten into an arena of what's worse, and there's no worse thing. There's all things that are bad, and there is Christ having fixed them all. That's the message that ne neither of these uh, men are uh, speaking to. And so we can see the effects. I'm using this to show you the effects of debating is that I, we sat with Kwaku here on the stage and it was fine. 
perhaps if, if we talked with Aaron on the stage, he won't come on the show, but if he did, we might be able to be amicable and, and talk through some things and disagree and leave uh, without going through all these things. But Aaron is still operating on this basis of sin mode, sin mode, sin mode, what's worse. Kwaku is, is seeing it all through a humanist lens. It's so much worse to kill these people than to commit idolatry. It's all just humanist rhetoric. And uh, it's bad. It's embarrassing. And uh, it's a fail for either or for both men. And, uh, and to be doing this uh, in the name of God that they apparently care so much about. Let's go to 715 to 754, Seth. That getting something theologically wrong is worse than the death of six million Jews. The sin wasn't being wrong. The is sin, it worse? No, the sin was being arrogant. Brigham Young defied the word of the living Lord, living Lord with the living God with that blasphemy that is 10 times worse. Okay, we murder. don't, we, I don't agree that it's arrogance or anything like that, but let's say that it is, okay? Let's say he was wrong. Do you believe Brigham Young being wrong is worse than the death of six million Jews? Do you really believe that? Because I hope not. Brigham Young deserves to be in hell eternally, consciously tormented forever for not worshiping God as the greatest of all beings, the most high. Um, and, you know, that is uh, Aaron's Calvinism pushing forth. We become what we believe, folks. Just understand that doctrine does matter. We become what we believe. Aaron believes that God predestines some for heaven and some for hell. And so he has no compunction into uh, saying that, into saying that uh, Brigham Young should be in hell burning forever. There is a spirit behind that mindset. And that spirit's derived from the God that Aaron has chosen to pursue. And that's why we know him in spirit and truth is he vital, vital to life eternal. Because why having him, the correct view of him is important in our mind. Because if you get a warped view of God, you will become that warped view because that's what you worship. Kwaku worships a God who was once a man. And, and so the result is we have a, a, a man up there, Kwaku, who, uh, whose heart uh, follows after a God who was once a man. It's, it's very arrogant. It's pride. It's, uh, it's humanist. It's, uh, it's based in human logic and human reason. Kwaku doesn't know the scripture. Kwaku knows how to argue through logic and, and tie people up through those arguments. So Aaron worships a God created by an amalgam of Old Testament biblical literalism and Calvinism, and uh, hence the anger and belief and hope that there's a burning hell for people like Brigham Young, and uh, ignoring the goodness and the long-suffering and the fact that, that God uh, is just and, and the justice was poured out upon his son, if you want to put it that way. And the son took it for us. And the, and, the, and, the, and the good news is rejoicing. It's, it's not pointing the finger at Brigham Young and his odd theories. You know, most religious leaders have odd theories. Most, most Christians believe something that is doctrinally offensive. It's because we're human and you can't help it. So I, I just wish we could use this kind of as a call to, for people to, to stop it and, 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 and stop getting into this. It does not accomplish anything. The video wraps up with another bad comparison of apples to oranges by Kwaku and Aaron not having the mental acuity and spiritual depth to avoid the trap. Again, there's no comparison present in the comparison. It's a game of which is worst. And the, idiot, uh, the video in the last minute and something ends up appealing to the flesh of men and women through mockery and through humor of which Aaron is the brunt. And and this is where it, it, it even shows its head even more. So let's just wrap it up. You disagree with Joseph Smith's teachings on the plurality of gods. Um, it's, there's about 16 million Latter-day Saints that exist in the world, and um, many of them believe in that doctrine. Some are not familiar with it, but, you know, they, they understand that it's there. Do you believe Joseph Smith's, in your view, false teaching or erred teaching of godhood is worse than the Arminian genocide? taking um, place. I'll make it easier for me. Uh, if Brigham Young, or you said Joseph Smith, if Joseph Smith had murdered a man and then he had taught plurality of gods, I think plurality of gods teaching is at the top of the list. I didn't ask that. I asked them Arminian genocide is what I asked. Uh, it, idolatry is qualitatively worse than a multitude of murders.
skip general conference. Du jetzt deine Stimme ab, wenn ja! Spit out Joseph Smith from your mouth like poison! The Quaker is a false teacher. Is blasphemy what Joseph Smith did. He takes the words of Jesus Christ and he takes a chainsaw and he warps them to what he what suits his narrative. That's not right. That's arrogant. That's arrogant. That's arrogant. We have and we could say, what if Aaron stepped back and said, Kwaku, you can believe Joseph and Brigham and you can follow whatever you want, but you claim Jesus Christ lived a life here on earth and that he died and he resurrected and that you do believe and have faith on him, right, Kwaku? And Kwaku would say yes. And Kwaku could say, Aaron, I don't like your predestinational views. I don't like Calvin. I don't like the God that you worship. But you believe in Jesus Christ and that he was born, he lived a life, and he died, and he was resurrected from the grave. And that gospel is what by which you are saved. Is that what you believe, Aaron? And Aaron says yes. And they can say, well, let's just go home and be friends, and let's unite together on that basis and let God figure out the difference. That's what we're proposing among people who are true sons and daughters of God. Th that, this kind of thing, believe me, I've been in it. It doesn't do anything, and it's entertaining, and it gets hits and views and likes, and, and Quaker will get a lot of, uh, of um, mileage out of it. But do you want mileage from a video, or do you want to talk about the real God and what he's really about and how important he is to you and others like you and the people you love and the people others love? So I hope we can, uh, we can fix that up and go from there. We've got a number of emails uh, to talk about, but we have two calls, and so we're going to get those quickly, and I'm going to hit the emails, and I just want to tell you, next Tuesday night, I am going to take, we're going to do part two on the Trinity Monday night, and then I'm going to take all the passages that I can find that the Trinitarians use as support passages, and some of you emailed me a laundry list of passages that I need to consider, and I'm going to take those, and I'm going to explain them very simply how I see them when I read them. And, and show you that you don't need to be a Trinitarian to, to see those passages and believe them. And that it all comes down to interpretation and the way you were taught. So next week, Tuesday Night Live, check in where I will fairly list every Trinitarian passage I can think of and find. And I will respond how I read that passage and show you that you can read the Bible with another set of eyes and it doesn't have to be in that Trinitarian way. So we're going to Sarah in Idaho Falls and then we're going to come to Karen. Sarah, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Sarah! This is your favorite church checker. Oh, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. How's your new baby? She's good. She's sleeping right next to me. <laughs> that's, that's a good baby. So uh, what's yeah, happening, my sister? Well, I just had to make the point, because uh, I'm just like these debaters, um, that I think it's funny that Kwaku was trying to use Ted Bundy to make Aaron look bad, but Ted Bundy was a member of the LDS Church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's pretty funny, and isn't when, it? Yeah, and when when he was going through court and all of that uh, controversy was happening, the LDS Church uh, members were defending him and saying, "Oh, he didn't do it." Yeah, and so I just I find that very interesting that he doesn't know that. But anyway, the other thing I wanted to say was that it really is it was unfair. I mean, as much as I disagree with Aaron about a lot of things, yeah, it, to to put a video together like that, basically comparing him to Hitler and calling him Hitler, which is because he speaks with a lot of zeal, yeah. is, uh, is pretty unfair. That kind of mockery is just, uh, it's just childish. I just had to say it. I'm glad you <laughs> so, did. I'm glad you did. I agree with you. I, and I get the humor. I mean, just like I said, I, th there's a humor to it, and there's a... There's, yeah, yeah. But it's just not... It, if we're really after this thing about God, it just doesn't fit, does it? No, no. And the whole debate, I mean, I used to really love watching debates and wanting to do debates, but it really is kind of pointless yeah. when everyone on one side is just going to keep believing what they believe. 
and the other people are going to believe what they believe, and everyone's just going to make fun of each other. Yeah. And it's, there's, there's really no genuine conversation going on. It's just who can make the biggest jerk out of who. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. That, that's all it is. It's hey, do you like, know anything? Ooh, that was a good insult. Good insult. Yeah, yeah. Do you know anything about checkmychurch.org? Of course I do. <laughs> well, well, tell us quickly about what you have to say about the recent article that was just published on that. Oh, yeah. I had to write that because, you know, we, we emailed a ton of churches to see what kind of financial help they would give to people. And we were basically told no by everybody. No, <laughs> unless you're a member of our church, we're not going to help you. Um, then there's churches that preach tithing like Calvary Chapel, and they actually just flat out said, no, we don't, we don't have the money to help anybody. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's, that's amazing, because you guys take so much money. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's fascinating study. I, I, I challenge all you guys who are watching, check out check, check, checkmychurch.org and read this uh, new article on COVID-19, revealing the underbelly of church and their finances. Great job, Sarah. Give love to Joe and the boys. Yeah. Okay, thanks, John. And the daughter. Bye-bye. Bye. And Karen in Orem. Karen, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. Hey, yeah. What's up, Karen? Greg says, oh, Greg says hi. He wants to make sure you and your family are good. Hopefully they are. We're doing well, thank you. How's you and your family? Well, <clears throat> three of our kids lost their jobs, so it's a little rough right now. You guys are out of work? Uh, uh, three of them. Um, my work, you know, I work in the medical field, so I will. I always have a job. Um, hey, I was watching your, your Trinity. Uh, enjoyed it very much. Um, I don't know if you remember some months ago. I asked you after um, our, our Bible study on what you thought Jesus was now, because we talked about. Do you think he's walking around in his Jesus sandals and his robes and? And I didn't think so. I and and so you said something in your Trinity um, <clears throat> presentation. I just made me wonder if you thought you said something about his that he needed to have a resurrected human body. And I'm wondering if you changed your opinion on, like, say Jesus would have just come up today, would he be Jesus that he was on the earth? I just didn't understand what you said, and I wanted to know if you maybe have changed your opinion. Well, Jesus' resurrected body was, is different than what Paul describes our resurrected bodies as being. And the reason for that is Jesus, when he resurrected, in order for them to see that he had come from the grave and that it was still Jesus, was going to show a body that had flesh and that they could touch and that had wounds still in it. And then he ascended and he was going to come back with that same body in order to, uh, to return to his own people with it. That's something that none of us, none of us are going to have to do that. So my belief is that Jesus' resurrected body was different. I don't think they recognized him. My friend Danny points out that, uh, that they didn't even recognize Jesus. Nobody knew it was him when they first saw him in his resurrected body. I think that he ascended to his father. I think he returned with a semblance of that. And I think that now it's over. I don't know what it means. I think he has a heavenly glorified, perfect body in which the fullness of God dwells. But I don't really know, to tell you the truth. I'm just guessing. Well, yeah. Okay, so that is what you and I talked about. I just wanted to clarify, because, you know, in First John chapter 3, when it talks about saying, now we're the sons of God or whatever, and then it says, but we don't know what we will be. We That's right. We don't know what we'll be. And it says, we don't know how he'll appear. So I just didn't know if you... That's right. Okay, yeah. that makes sense? I think that's. I, an, I, I loved it. I thought I thought you killed it. I thought you did really good. And while I've got you on the phone, when when do we get to come back? I miss coming. Well, I I'm just sending. I missed that last part, Karen, because the phone is going in and out. Oh, when do we get to come back? I miss our Sunday. When do we get to come back? Oh, I don't know. We're waiting to see what's going to happen, but right now we're closed up. Okay, well, you know, we could all sit six feet apart. Come on. I know, I know, but that doesn't keep... <laughs> in this place, rules don't matter once you open the doors. <laughs> Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Thanks for Tom. calling. Yep, bye now. God bless. Bye-bye. Okay, let's go to some quick emails. Remember, I'm going to cover the emails that are going to 
talk about uh, passages that support the idea of the Trinity. Bobby Johnson says, I might get a cross tattoo. Haven't decided what it will look like, though. Well, Bobby, uh, make sure you get it passed by from your mother because moms don't tend to like tattoos very much. Gene Robinson says, going along with George's question, that evidence topic is brought up. Something that always confused me is why opponents of the LDS faith always cite the gigantic amount of evidence of the Bible compared to the non-existence of the same kind of evidence from the Book of Mormon. Where did the approach of touting all of the evidence come from and why do people still do it? It certainly couldn't have come from the scriptures or Jesus because it's never mentioned as important. And really saying that we know that cities and ethnic groups existed doesn't validate anything of importance that happened from the Bible, i.e. miracles performed, lessons taught, vision seen, resurrection. It also makes me think of John 20, 29, if in one of the only instances where evidence was demanded for belief, why the type of evidence so different than any other evidence propped up by people today? Is the verse not making the point that you evidence of archaeological, genetic, linguistic, etc. is a fool's errand and that the opposite of what God expects of us should never be seen uh, as necessary, especially when the last verse of the chapter reveals the only evidence we need, the eyewitness testimonies. Listen, the only reason I point up evidence when it comes to uh, talking about Mormons and Christians is that faith is not in a vacuum. God did not... um, send a Bible down here that was written of fiction. The Bible is supported by evidence. And there's, there's a big reason why that's important in the Mormon Christian debate, because Mormonism provides scripture that has no basis in reality. It's the fictional meanderings of somebody no different than uh, the guy who started Scientology. You see, so anyone can come up with a fanciful imaginative story and claim it's true and good. There's a reason why God had a literal descendants from Abraham become the nation of Israel and have the 12 sons and all of that symbolism and everything they went through. And there's a reason that there was a real Moses and the giving of a real law uh, written in stone. All of those things materially presented, founded in reality, are played out in pictures and types in the New Testament. So the archaeological and genetic and, and, and all those evidences are very important to the Christian faith. They're not uh, ancillary and they're not uh, something that doesn't matter at all. And that's why I think Christians use them is because we aren't talking about some Santa Claus. We aren't saying that Jesus is in the South Pole and that you got to believe he comes once a year. It's not based on anything like that at all. It's based on something concrete. That is what the faith is based on. And that's why Christians appeal to it. I don't know if I helped you with your answer, but that's what I had. Madison Kuhn says, been following you since 2003. I'm very grateful that through the years and over time, you've never given up your voice. When I first found you, it was 3 a.m. channel surfing that stopped me in my tracks. I was a return missionary, the third great granddaughter of Prophet John Taylor, and struggling with many, many, many truths you have eloquently addressed over the years. I have found myself through the process of believing in myself in a world that organizes institutions governed mostly by men to remove your own self-worth. Sean, I value you. I see you. I hear you. Love your sister, Madison. Thanks for the watching and putting up with me and everything and the changes uh, that we put up with. What do you think of stories of people dying and seeing heaven and hell? I think that people see what they is on their conscience and what they believe the afterlife consists of in afterlife experiences. I don't know what the validity is of those visions, but I think we and often we all see relative to our own belief system and our own experiences. That's why Muslims have after after death uh, Muslim experiences. Hindus have after life Hindu experiences. Mormons have afterlife Mormon experiences and Christians have afterlife Christian experiences. I think after time, the the shades fall off in the afterlife and you begin to see reality for what it really is. But initially, that's my opinion of it. Marcus Rigby says, thanks for all you do, Sean. 18 years, 18 years a slave as a Mormon, 30 years a happy Christian. And, um, 
From last night's show on the Trinity, Danny says this was great. Some of what you said was irrefutable, undeniable, but I have a hard time wrapping my head around it. Oh, well, I never did understand the Trinity. Simply called, it's a mystery of which I'm fine with. Admittedly, I'm one of those folks that just figured God was an infinite intelligence, whereas mine is a finite comparative to an insect as well. Well, even less since his intellect is indefinable. Laughing out loud, I think there's more. I'm think I'm more confused now than I was, but hey, at least you made me think. And I hope you understand. That's why we talk in large part about it. It's not for you to swallow my uh, beliefs. My beliefs, I know, are unique, and many people don't see them. It's okay. Uh, I hope that you'll hear and you'll respect me, whatever way it goes. That often isn't the case. I will respect your beliefs, whatever way it goes. That is the case. But it is to get us to think and to investigate and to challenge what has been given to us as truth and to get us to start uh, crunching some of this stuff and see if we can understand what's being said. Shamoa, who's a man, said growing up, I never considered belief in the Trinity to be especially important. And after researching it in my adulthood, I still think the Trinity is not a very important belief to understand. And honestly, I believe modalism is a better explanation for the nature of the Christian God, so do I. And so I don't know what else to say. I do. I see that as a much more reasonable and biblical approach. But of course, people disagree. Uh, Leanne Young said, I found the format of this episode uh, putting your arguments up on the screen for everyone to read along with what they're hearing. Very helpful. Joe, that's her husband, and I enjoy watching this one. The Trinity has always been has been the only doctrine I've struggled to understand and currently present to as to others as a Christian. You make a lot of good points. And as someone who has read the Bible her whole life, I have a very hard time disagreeing with you here, even though I was raised on the Trinity doctrine. I'm curious to see what kind of response you get from the Sean McCraney Haters Club. Yeah, I'm not curious to see that myself, my sister. John or Reardon says, you're looking great and I have a question with you. I've got a question. What do your tattoos mean? Uh, if you tell me fizz off, I won't cry. It's the sharpest tool in the shed. I can't speak. I'm on the job site. Uh, John, the tattoos all mean something different, but they are very specific in their meaning. And I think we've done some shows that illustrate uh, what all their uh, meanings are. And maybe we'll put them together. I think we're going to put them together on a new website that's coming out soon. So uh, look for that. Thank you, Sean, for the RVC51112. Thank you, Sean, for this authentic and informative presentation on the subject. May you please, if it will add value to the audience, touch on the other verses that Trinity believers use to support their beliefs. And because of your email, we're going to do that next week on Tuesday night. I am going to go through and we're going to take each verse. Our poor graphics uh, people in there are just going to be dying. And we're going to just look at the verse. And I'm going to tell you what I think it means plainly re read and understood. So really good. Thank you for that. RVC 5112. Um, Deami 2012. Why does the deity who happens to be a singular person create? I don't know why God creates. There's all kinds of guesses and we can make hypothecations of why he creates and say he wanted to have people in his image it's part of his love uh, he's a creator creators create we could go on and on and on you could come up with a plan of salvation and i don't know uh, you know he's trying to make sons and daughters out of the human race for those who want him we don't really he doesn't really tell us for fellowship we've heard that one a lot don't know the answer to that Justin Blackburn uh, says, I'm home. I'm a Pentecostal. I respect the Trinity. I don't completely understand the one is Pentecostal. I don't give up on understanding the Trinity, but I think with finite minds, we're not going to fully understand everything. We do know that the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit are equal in the internal. I can't read your writing, brother. I'm sorry. Uh, and uh, let's just jump down. We're going to skip that one. Bill Scott says, just another one of the 30,000 Protestant denominations. I don't know what he's referring to. Maybe it's me. Uh, I don't know. Greg Nath said, Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. Jesus claimed to be God. Sean is so wrong. All, wrong is all in uppercase. The Pharisees knew exactly what he was saying when they picked up stones to stone him for blasphemy. And... Uh, you know what? I believe that passage when Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. I believe that Jesus 
uh, was God with us. I've said that many times. I believe the fullness of God was in Jesus. But Jesus the man was not God. Jesus the man was born of a woman under the law. He died. He was tempted. God isn't tempted. James makes that clear. So uh, it just depends on how you want to see it. So when you say Sean is so wrong, I don't think you understood me well uh, in what you're saying. Froxy music, which must be a play on Roxy music, which I love, Brian Ferry. And he said, how many other versions of the view of God are there? It's a great question. I have no idea. There must be a lot. I mean, we talk about uh, modalism and uh, monarchistic modalism. We talk about uh, Sabellianism. We talk about Trinitarianism, Binitarianism, um, Oneness Pentecostalism, Mormonism. I don't know. Good question. Um... Mr. Magic Man, the Trinity is very false. You can see how false it is. When you look at the key words in John chapter 14 where Jesus says, I go to my Father. If I go, I'll send another comforter. And then a verse or two later, he says that he will not leave you comfortless. So to me, that sounds like the same person, not two. And then Kingdom of the Son of God says the Trinity is Satan's masterpiece. So we have a broad spectrum of views here as that's what the Trinity does. And, uh, and then MH talked about some things which we're going to read next week along with a, uh, uh, a uh, message from David Polk. And if David's watching tonight, he used to be LDS. He's ex-Mormon. He's been a Christian for seven years. He used to really enjoy HOTM1 videos. He's watched them all. But uh, he gave me a laundry list of verses I should look at to talk about the Trinity. And that's what also got me to thinking, why don't I just show you how when I read the Bible and the passages, everyone's saying, you should read this passage, you should read that passage. I've read those passages and, and they say something different to me. And we're going to cover that next week here on the Tuesday night show of Heart of the Matter. So listen, let's wrap this up. Uh, I hope we don't use this as a, a, a visive thing. Uh, it's to have discussion, open up our minds, question what's been taught and see what stands and what falls. And uh, join us this uh, coming Monday night here on Heart of the Matter.